Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito What's good, Grizzlies fans, Blood City Media Nation, and other viewers and listeners out there? I'm Xavier, your host today, and I'm here with my co-host, uh, with Matt Matthew Gill and David Buckler, and we're here for the next episode of the Core Four Podcast. And for an interesting episode, you guys, we're going to talk about a little bit of matchup seedings in the first round for the Grizzlies with this upcoming playoffs, a little bit of the Dylan drama that's been as of late. Um, as well, we're going to go further into the season is almost over with, so we're going to name some of our award winners. And then it's March Madness this weekend, the opening rounds, and so we're going to look and see what prospects do we have circled for, that will fit the Grizzlies' culture. But first of all, we finished off last week since the last episode. The Grizzlies end up going 2-1. Um, we had some good victories. Matt, how are you feeling about those wins last week um, against, what, it, what was it? We, we beat the Mavs and then, yeah, the Warriors. And course. the Warriors, yeah. And, I mean, jumped all over the Warriors kind of from the start. I thought that was a really good win. But, I mean, the other two games, the L.A. games, were a little bit troubling, especially the Lakers won. They should have definitely won that game. And it was kind of another, like, bad second half. Um, finished there by Memphis. So there's been some up and down moments for sure. Um, and I, I don't really know what to make of it. Like the Warriors have been terrible on the road all season long. So I don't know. I mean, that's not like a huge victory to me. It obviously is a team that uh, we want to beat all the time. And uh, it was a good win from that aspect of it. Looking at the schedule now, we're talking about the Mavericks game and then now we're going to play them two more times, like in the next week. It's very, it's a, it's a weird part of the schedule for sure, but a couple of good wins, but I really don't know what to take away from it. Like we still haven't seen this team with everybody back yet, obviously with the jaw thing looming still and new news about Steven Adams missing more time. So I, I don't really know what to take away from either of those games because we still don't know what the Grizzlies are yet and what they're going to look like in the postseason. Yeah, Dave. Um, I mean, it was some good takeaways. Uh, I, I really felt like we should have won that game against the Lakers. But how did it feel actually beating the Warriors, like laying the smackdown on them? Yeah, yeah, that was a nice win. That was a nice win. And, and I, I kind of agree, though. Like, it, it, it was a, just an up-and-down week. I'm not sure. I thought we should have won the Lakers game. Then, you know, the Dallas, we won, but they played without, you know, Luka and without Kyrie Irving. I know we don't have John Rand. Just kind of a – a week that I'm ready to move on from sort of and look forward to some really interesting basketball this upcoming week. You know, not only do we play the Mavericks again, as, as we touched on, 
But there's some interesting travel this week, too, right? So we're in Dallas tonight. Then we have to go to Florida to play the Heat. Then we come back to Texas to play the Spurs. Then we come home, I think, to play uh, Golden State, and that's a back-to-back. And it's just about in a little bit of travel here, some interesting road games. So I'm kind of curious, without Adams, without John Morant for the foreseeable future, how this team responds. And every win right now, Xavier, is so important, right? Because we're tied with the Kings. So whether they're good wins, quote-unquote, or bad wins, quote-unquote, at least they're going in the right column. Yeah, you're right about that. And that really leads us to, like, our first topic. All right, starting off with our first topic, we're going to talk about a little bit of our favoritism of matchups this opening round when, for the Grizzlies. Uh, currently, you know, the Grizzlies are tied in the second spot, but we're in the third spot with the Kings with, with the record of 40 and 26. And luckily, the Grizzlies look like they're going to have home court advantage, at least for this opening round. If the playoffs were to start today without the play-in tournament, we would be matched up against the Golden State Warriors. And, boy, that would be a nice playoff opening round, and it would be a fight. But you look at the the Western Conference, everything just changes day by day. And that really leads leads to me to question asking you, Matt, is there a favorite team that you got circled that the Grizzlies should match up? Should they stay in the third slot? Should they focus on getting the second the second? Spot in the West. What is what is what should the Grizzlies be looking for? Who should they be matching up with, hoping to play in the opening round of the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I don't ever look at it as you should be trying to lose to like get an easier matchup if it falls that way. Like we saw that happen with Milwaukee last year, who kind of punted at the end of the regular season, and then they end up not having the game seven at home against Boston, which ended up being a, a major factor. So. In my opinion, regardless of who's at the bottom and like who you think you're going to match up with, try and get the best seed you can. Try to be the number two seed and have home court advantage until the Western Conference Finals. I think that that's incredibly important for this team in particular, who we've talked about is not as good on the road. And home court advantage means a lot in Memphis, especially come playoff times. Like that place is going to be rowdy. That place is going to be loud and it's going to be hard to play there. Looking at the teams at the bottom, like I really would not mind rematching with Minnesota in that situation. I thought that that was a fun competitive series last year. We had all of the kind of off-court stuff with T. Morant and Carl Anthony Townsend Jr.'s um, dad as well, you know, on the sidelines. That was fun. It was a great opportunity to see two young superstars, really, in my opinion, and John Anthony Edwards get some good experience, like, in the playoffs and on that national stage like that. I thought that was a great series. And of all the teams that they're likely to play, that's probably my favorite matchup is let's just play the T-Wolves again. I also just think that that's a team that's not going to win a series. Like the the Warriors obviously scare me more. So, like, I would also like to play the Timberwolves for that reason. But honestly, dude, like the most fun matchup, it's impossible at at this point. They're way too bunched up on top of each other. But I would sign up for seven games of Sacramento and Memphis all day long, dude. I want to see that series at some point in the playoffs. That, those were some really good matchups this regular season. They're obviously two really good teams. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the T-Wolves are probably the most likely, um, you know, my favorite of the ones that they're likely to play for sure. But I can't wait if we do get the opportunity to see a Sacramento and Memphis series in the playoffs. I think that'd be a really good, fun series. Yeah, uh, t- I, interesting. I had Minnesota Circle as well. Um, that was a very fun playoff series last year. I'm interested to hear what you have, Dave. Who, who do you have, Circle, for the Grizzlies potentially to match up in the first round? Yeah, and the thing with uh, the Timberwolves, right, be the Mike Conley uh, 
part of that too be kind of fun coming up. And, Ky- I, I and Kyle point- Anderson. And Kyle Anderson. And Owen, Kyle, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a great point, great point. You know, I thought this broke out pretty, um, pretty straightforward, to be honest. You know, so if they can get the two seed, they would have home court, hopefully, in the 2-7 and the 3-6 matchup. And I and, and I do think that's important, especially if they would see the Kings in the second round. Who I do believe the Kings have a home court advantage, unlike some teams in the league. But looking at who, realistically, they could see in the first round, there, I made a yes and a no column. <laughs> so in the no column, I don't want anything to do with the Golden State Warriors in the first round. And I understand it's fun. It's great television. Draymond and Brooks are like a WrestleMania matchup, and it's all great. But the, the emotion of that series sometimes overrides and becomes too much for young teams. It would be such a media-driven series that I feel that we could get distracted. And honestly, guys, I think the Lakers would be a tough matchup for us in the first round as well, even though I think on paper we're a better team. But it's not all, you know, you don't play games on paper. And I think the Lakers would be a, another one as a LeBron's back, AD's on fire. They, they've retold the deadline. They would be a tough matchup in that first round for us. Not maybe X and O wise, but just the the legacy of the Lakers, the 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 imprint that LeBron puts on a series, and the other team guys. I don't want anything to do with New Orleans because I think if we would see New Orleans in the first round, it's because Zion is back and they're playing much better. Right now, I think they're vulnerable. They're not that great, but if we would see them in the first round, they worry me. I think we'll beat the Timberwolves. I think we'll beat the Jazz. Beat the Thunder pretty easily, to be honest. Uh, I, the Mavericks are an interesting team, too, because with we've had trouble with them before. We'll see them again tonight. Luka, you know, really causes us some fits. But I think that's a good matchup for us. I think we can play a little faster with them. And if we had to go big on them, they, they can't match the size. I, I think those four teams, the Wolves, Mavs, Jazz, and Thunder, would be good first-round matchups for us looking at the playoffs. But one of the, one of the points got interesting. The, the West, we always think of as the, the dominant conference maybe the last five, six years. Oh my God, the wild, wild west. Um, the East is better, isn't it? In general, yeah. I mean, certainly yeah. at the top. I mean, the way the Sixers are playing, the Bucks, the Celtics, the Cavs, the Knicks are a fun team. The, how about that Brooklyn win in Denver? Yet uh, on Sunday, so I think the East playoffs are going to be fascinating. Uh, maybe past the first round. I think the bottom of the East is is pretty pretty weak, but they could be some great second round series. Yeah, uh, most definitely. Mikael Bridges, I, I made a video about him earlier today. I talk about how, like, he, he's scoring Bridges now. I've never expected <laughs> Mikael Bridges to lead an offense. But, hey, I understand now why the Grizzlies were trying to give up four first-round picks for him. But- Dude, and he would have been worth it, too, by the way. Like, I kept bringing his name up before we even knew he was going to be in that trade. I love that dude. He's an absolute killer. I didn't know he had that in him, though. Yeah, he's an unbelievable scorer to, to now add yeah, to how... Yeah, and it, it, it's sorry to go off topic, but it really goes to show you, like, a lot of these players are capable of being scorers, but they're just under a specific role. Man, like, I've never expected Mikael Bridges to be a blossom scorer. It, 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 like, really. I mean, he's great. pulling... Pulling up from mid-ranges and shooting threes. But, yeah, uh, for me, I got Utah, Minnesota, circle. But I'm I'm really going to go against you, Dave. I really want to match up against the Warriors so we can shut them the hell up. I want <laughs> the Warriors so bad so we can shut them up because it's just been so much drama between us. I understand it will be a very, very emotional series, and it will be heartbreaking if we were to lose that series. but. It's just been so much drama from the earlier this season to, of course, now Dylan Brooks and Draymond Green got beef beef. Like, it's been stirring up 
for us since 2021, since 2021 when we beat them in that playing game. It's the youth taking over the old. And I think the youth is ready now of the Grizzlies. If they have the, have their right mind and play their best basketball, I really feel like we can beat the Warriors, especially if we have home court advantage. The Warriors' role record is pool trash. I don't know, like, I've never seen a, a, a team that had won the championship last year to just have a flat-out terrible role record like them. I mean, it's literally bottom trash. You look at other teams with role records, they have like they're closer with the, the Spurs, Houston, Detroit Pistons with the role records. And those are the bottom, bottom of the tier teams. I've never I, seen nothing like that. Yeah, and that like eight wins on the road total. Like it's it's like single digits. They're they're it's so seven, bad. Yeah, it's seven wins. Yeah, seven there you wins. Go. And so I feel like we will have that advantage. I understand, yes, the Warriors have so much championship DNA. And they understand how to win games in clutch situations. But this is the grindhouse, baby. If we're going to be booming, we're going to be bu bucking. I I've seen so many legacy games here in Memphis during the playoffs. I really feel like we want to shut the Warriors up because it at the end of the day, it's a, it's a robbery between us. Well, let me say this. Uh, you know, we just saw the Warriors. We beat them pretty handily. And we can say what we want. They looked really sloppy in that game. A lot of turnovers, I thought. They just throw the ball away carelessly. And sometimes they're a victim of their own success. Steph gets a little cute with the ball sometimes now and things like that. I, I will, you know, let me say this, though. Uh, there is precedent for this. When the Boston Red Sox finally beat the New York Yankees in the ALCS in 2004, they went on then to win the World Series. And it was, it was sweeter because they went through the Yankees. When the when Washington Capitals beat my Pittsburgh Penguins, all my friends here in Washington were excited that Stanley Cup meant more because they went through Pittsburgh. So to your point, Xavier, if the Grizzlies were to go to the NBA Finals and win it, stepping through Golden State, no question, would mean more to the people of Memphis who have watched that rivalry evolve. I guess I'm just very risk neutral, and I would much rather I'd much rather play the Utah Jazz and, and you know. The, the Warriors just make me nervous. The, the Wiggins thing is weird, though, isn't it? Sort of, is he? What's his story? He, he's he's just out for personal reasons, but they expect him back from the playoffs. I I I was about to point that out. Like that is one thing that we can't like underestimate is how good he was in the playoffs for him last year, and he hasn't played in weeks. Like that is also a big factor in why. And you know, he's kind of their perimeter point of attack lead defender now that Draymond's like older and Clay can't move as well laterally. Like Andrew Wiggins is really the one who makes their perimeter defense go in my opinion. And yeah, like if they get him back in time for the playoffs, like that's a, that, that's another weapon for them. And that's a kid who proved that he has, you know, the ability to show up in those moments, but uh, to go back to like what Xavier was saying about going through Golden State and what you were saying to make it sweeter, Dave. Like also, like if your slogan is you're not gonna duck any smoke and you'll run up the chimney and all this stuff, be about it. Like don't don't you dare try and lose an extra game at the end to, to try to avoid the Warriors or something. You got to go through them if you're gonna be a champion and you're gonna talk all of that smack about it. Like I want to see that too. I, I I think that at some point they will see each other in the playoffs, even if it's not the first round, maybe the second or something. But you know, it depends on how it all shakes out, obviously, and how they finish out. But Golden State also, like, I think they have, like, eight road games left or something like that, too. They have a ton of road games left. Like, there's a good possibility they end up in the nine or ten spot, you know, by the end of this if their road struggles continue, you know. I, I have one other comment. I'm sorry, real quick, guys, on, on the seating. And I remember you asked me 
on a previous show how important I thought home court was. And I had made points before th- that it was very, very important for the Grizzlies. But what I had hoped was that at this point in the season with 16 games to go, that would be our focus instead of who, you know, who's available for us. When is Steven Adams coming back? When is John Moran coming? There's a lot of roster uncertainty right now that that does worry me. It's like with Phoenix, you know, when, how are they going to integrate Kevin Durant before the, the, uh, a long playoff run in their, in their hopes. Right. So it, it, it's, it's, un, it's frustrating that we don't have everything sort of locked down and now we're just fine tuning for the playoffs where we'd be looking at these matchups. It's like a lot of uncertainty guys and it. That worries me. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. And I mean, it's a lot of teams that's, it's really stuck in that way. You look at Minnesota, they haven't heard anything about Carl Anthony Towns coming back for the playoffs as well. Dallas, they really haven't figured out between Luka and Kyrie and you got guys that's injured. It's really a lot besides the, the top two teams in the West of Denver and Sacramento. They're healthy. You look at the, the rest of the Western Conference, you got guys that's basically in and out or they've made those trade moves and they're trying to fit those pieces in so it's interesting to see nonetheless but i'm ready for the playoffs and i'm not ducking from the from the uh, warriors at the end of the day today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you your budget your life your style and if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Okay, Nick, heading to our next segment, we're going to do a little embracement with Dylan Brooks. If you haven't been paying attention in the past two weeks, I know John Moran has had a lot of news, but Dylan Brooks has entered the chat. He has been coming at everybody's heads if you're a superstar, from calling out Draymond Green due to the fact of his play. And now the other day he called out Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. He has a lot of talk lately since John Moran's absence has been going in. A lot of people, Kendrick Perkins, feel like he's the new leader of the Grizzlies, but I don't think so. <laughs> um, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta ask you, Dave. Are you, is Dylan Brooks' comments becoming too arrogant at this point with the Grizzlies having so much drama around the team right now? I don't ever remember a Grizzlies player that has been so exciting and so frustrating, <laughs> so much discussion from fans. It's it's really interesting career he's put together, you know. And as a pro wrestling fan. I sort of like this. It's like he it's like he comes down into the ring every night and says, you know, I hate everybody here in Boston, you know, <laughs> and then the crowd boos. He gets his cheap heat. I, I don't know. I, you know, if you look at it just kind of black and white in terms of statistics, you know, 14.3 points, three and three and a half rebounds, 2.5 assists, his splits are real average for an NBA guard. He's a fine NBA player, certainly above average defensively. I, I think we talk a lot about a guy who is a real average NBA player. And he's sort of created this though, right? Like he plays hard and he, he, he does deserve a lot of respect from us that he brings effort every single night. And in a league where there's load management and, you know, if you get 55 games out of a guy, you think, wow, that was quite a full season for that player. I do respect the fact that he plays hard every night. I wanted, I wanted to want to add uh, one additional point here. I was in Pennsylvania this past weekend 
uh, for a friend's birthday party. And they know that I do this show with you guys. And we were talking about the Grizzlies and about Dylan Brooks. And my one friend who's, who's a big NBA fan said, you know, David, outside of Memphis, nobody cares about this. You know, nobody cares about the Shannon Sharp thing. Nobody cares about Dylan Brooks. Nobody really cares about the Grizzlies. And, and his point was, the talking is fine, but until they actually win something that outside the market makes an impression, you know, going to the Western Finals, going to the NBA Finals, this is fun for us. But on a national level, Dylan Brooks doesn't get the oxygen from, I don't believe, the rest of the country. Is that fair or not? I mean, am I trivializing it or is that sort of a fair um, impression from someone outside the actual market? Well, you know, I look on Twitter every single night. I see Dylan Brooks. Everybody talk about how he's the most hated person in the NBA. <laughs> I mean, I understand, yes, we're a small market team, and we still haven't proven anything. But when we on this national television, it's always some type of Dylan Brooks tactic that goes, that blows up from his, his below the shot, whatever you want to call it, move, when we played against the Cavaliers from the Shannon Sharp incident, it seems like it's always something about Dylan Brooks when we do play on national TV and you look at so many other fan bases, they talk about, man, I can't stand Dylan Brooks. That's the most hated person. I'm not, and, and it's got to the fact that my own mother, like she's sort of tired of his, his tactics because <laughs> it was so funny last night, the other night, like we was watching the game. My mom and I was watching the game together and yeah, we were struggling with the Mavericks with no Luca, no Kyrie. And he called them out. The, I mean, earlier that game, I mean, earlier before saying Luca is scared to play because he don't want to play any physicality. And he matched up against Kyrie earlier this season when he was playing with the Nets. And I locked him up. He afraid from afraid to come out. How are you gonna talk all that talk and only score eight points then? I mean, the last game. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, so are are you tired of his like comments or whatnot? Or that's just What's to expect from Dylan Brooks now? It's what's to be expected for sure. But the, the problem I have with it is that as much talking as he does, he does just as much shooting terrible shots and shooting terrible percentages. Like especially, like you just said, the Dallas game, how are you not even going to get into double digits when you're talking all of that? And I think that plays into the part that he doesn't get the national recognition like Dave's talking about. Like what he's great at is being a defender and like, that just doesn't play as well on like TikTok and Instagram for the clips and stuff like that. He's not like a high leaper. He's not blocking and swatting shots like that. Like he's just a really solid perimeter defender. And like that doesn't really necessarily make you famous in the NBA. So I think that that is part of the reason that um, you don't see as much of the national recognition for him, or at least people don't really care as much as like he seems to think so. But yeah, I mean, I go back to the Laker game Um the couple nights ago, man, and, and it's 13 points. It's three of 10 from three. It's five of 17 from the floor. And a lot of those threes came in the fourth quarter with the game, like, in balance. Like, if he had made a couple, yeah, sure, then he's the hero. But the problem is, like, he shot 30%, and they end up losing that game by a wide margin when they probably shouldn't have. And, like, that's the part that I have a hard time with. I love all of the defensive effort. But, like, the perfect Dylan Brooks game is, like, 12 points – you know, eight eight rebounds and four assists. And, and instead, he wants to put up 25 points a, a night as well and be like, I think he saw what Mikel Bridges was doing. I was like, oh, I can do that. I'm better than that. Dude. <laughs> and he's just not. He's not as good of an offensive player. So that's where I had struggle with it is that 
as good as he is, as loud as he is, as, as important as he is to the defensive side of the ball, man, he is a real minus sometimes on the offensive end. Yeah, and let, let me add, I, I don't know if you guys saw the comments where he sort of clapped back at Draymond. That's been an interesting back and forth. In, 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 in the middle of a dull NBA season sometimes, it's nice to get that kind of real tension, right? It's a long season until the playoffs. But I, they asked him about Draymond, and he said something to the effect of what Draymond does is easy. All you have to do is show up. I can do that. What, what Draymond does is easy. And it's like, well, okay. But Draymond's got four championships. So what are you saying, Dylan? Like, you come and do everything Draymond does, but where are your championships? Like, I, there, there's sort of a self-awareness. I don't know if he does it sort of like just because he thinks he's funny. You know, the whole thing with, with, with uh, Shannon Sharp, like just some podcaster. Like, I like a little bit of that. But I, I thought when he, he's like, what Draymond does is easy. I hope he's completely joking because I think what Draymond Green has done for the Warriors with, uh, during his career there is extremely difficult to, uh, to, I think he's a fabulous defender and, and, and a tone setter for a team that needed his toughness to go along with all that other offensive talent. And I, 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 I felt a little bit like that was not off the mark for me. And I tell me if I'm wrong guys, but I didn't like the comment. Well, my understanding of that comment was more just like Steph Curry is the reason that Draymond has four titles. Like Draymond would always be good. And the flip side of that is if we look back and Dylan has four championships, you know, 10 years from now, then people will say the same thing about Ja Morant. You know what I mean? Like they'll say that Dylan got dragged to some titles by Ja too. Like it goes both ways. I think I think they both know what they're doing. I think they're both really good entertainers and like, Draymond obviously more so is already in the media space so he knows that it's good for him it's good for his podcast it's good for his numbers if like he does have a little bit of beef like that I think in their in their heart of hearts like if you gave them both truth serum I think they would say they respect each other's game a lot I think there's a lot more uh in common they have than not in my opinion you guys ever see when uh when Carl Malone wrestled Dennis Rodman in a tag match for WCW back in the 90s yeah, it's been done before. They've taken NBA players before and put them in a wrestling ring. These two would be perfect, perfect for that. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, and I find it interesting, though, because I really feel like it, Draymond Green is under, like, his last year of contract for the Warriors. And I don't think a lot of people understand the value that he brings besides, you know, the toughness. He really orchestrates the offense a lot, especially when Stephen Curry's playing off the ball. There hasn't been a replacement for him yet. Uh, you look at Kaminga. Kaminga has struggled this year. I mean, they got rid of James Wiseman. The only person that's really stepped up for him is their two-way Lamb, and he's ran out of games to play this year. So <laughs> it's really interesting, and I don't think the Warriors are going to pay that man in money. And if you really listen to his con- I mean, to his podcast, what he said, he said the championship, the, the Grizzlies – what do you say? Something like the Grizzlies are better off without you. Like they're going to start without you. And yeah. it's sort of, it's sort of sounding like he hinting towards like possibility that he would like come to Memphis in a sense. And I find it interesting. How would Memphis fans really feel if Draymond Green would actually be in a, a uniform for the Grizzlies? We look at Steven Adams. Steven Adams was hated. <laughs> I hated yeah. Grizzlies fan before. He came and now he every he's basically every fan uh, favorite player and we miss him uh, desperately right now. But if Draymond Green comes to Memphis, that'll be a sight to see. 
What a conspiracy, bro. I, I hadn't even thought of that or heard nothing about that. I don't know if he would or not, but it would be pretty sick because, like, what you said about how much he does on the offensive end running stuff for him, he does that even more so on the defensive end. Like, imagine Draymond, like, calling out all of your defensive stuff and getting everybody lined up and, and committed to playing really good team defense. And then, oh, yeah, you also have Jaron Jackson Jr., who's going to win Defensive Player of the Year this year. Like, that would be a sick combination uh, of a front court defensively. I would love to see that. And, you know, we've seen Jai, like, flourish in the off-ball stuff, you know, when he plays with Tyus. So, like, that's something I would be interested in for sure. I mean, the, the money has to be right, but I certainly would welcome Draymond with open arms. I can guarantee you that. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lifting contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Okay, now sparking into our award segment. It's less than 20 games left in the regular season for most teams. And, of course, the award season will be approaching us soon. So we're going to drop our award selection for each major award of, for, all, all, for all throughout all the NBA. Um, Matt, who you got, who you got uh, for your, your MVP, Depoy, six-man, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, um, you know, I'm excited to talk about this for sure because I, I generally don't love, like, the MVP stuff. But I think if you've listened to the show enough, you know that somebody's going to somebody's gonna disagree <laughs> on who the MVP is. To me, it's clearly Jokic. I think he's the best player in basketball, and I think he has been for the last three years. And I really don't think it's, like, that much up for debate. Um I think Giannis has also had a really good year and obviously is the key reason why they went on such a long winning streak that has now put them in contention to have the number one seed. He's had a great season. Embiid has been excellent all year long and, and is a real force on the offensive end. To me personally, I can't watch him. I hate watching Embiid, you know, draw fouls, 100 possessions in a row and score 40 points with – 25 free throws like that's just not very appealing to me I know that that doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't be the MVP but in my opinion the stuff that Jokic does is, is incredible with the amount of triple doubles and when you talk about the Russell Westbrook thing um you know which other people have talked about we haven't really but the the, the difference is if Jokic gets a triple double it's also a guaranteed win for the nuggets like i think it's different when you are stat padding like russell westbrook was and i love westbrook by the way like he was he was my favorite non-grizzly before Jokic like really started taking over i love westbrook but like you can't argue that he wasn't stat padding and that's how he got to average a triple double and win an mvp that season and all that stuff but like Jokic is different man like they've won every game this season that he's had a triple double and they've and they won um i think it's like 
almost 30 games in a row now going back to last season um, consecutively where if he wins a triple or if he records a triple double, they win the game. I think that that is incredibly valuable. Um, he is not the best defender and he's had a really bad week. If you've seen some of the defensive clips from that San Antonio game, he's, he's had a bad week uh, defensively, but in my opinion, he controls the game so much more than anybody else. He is, in my opinion, the most valuable player. You also look at some of the best five-man lineups in the entire NBA. Like the Nuggets have several different iterations because I think that he makes everybody so much better. Aaron Gordon, to me, is not a good player, and he should have been an all-star this year, and that's directly because of Jokic, in my opinion. So, Dave, I, I can't wait to hear what you had to say, brother. I, I, I want to hear what you got on the MVP. Well, should, should we do it one award at a time, Xavier? Is that okay? Can we can we talk about one award at a time? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fine. Okay, because – the fun part of this is there is a real debate about the MVP in the NBA. And I, I think three guys have separated. You touched on them. I mean, it's, to me, Joe Giannis and, and Joel Embiid have separated. There's been other wonderful seasons. Uh, you know, I mean, Jason Tatum's had a wonderful season. You know, just really, really high-level basketball around the league from many, many players. But to me, these are the three that deserve the attention. Their teams are winning, and they've been a central reason for it. I have Embiid. As the MVP, the numbers just pop off off the page. I can't lie though and say I don't care that Joker has won the previous two. People say you shouldn't. You know, listen, Michael Jordan should have won nine MVPs in a row, and they gave one to Karl Malone. You know, and and even the year Barkley won, everybody knew that Michael Jordan was the best player in the league, and there was a little bit of voter fatigue and that type of thing. And they like, you know, let's give Mailman his MVP. There is a little bit of that. I think it's human nature. If I will say, if Joker wins, I'm not going to complain. He's been amazing. He's an, a, a wonderful story. I think Embiid, though, given his history of injuries, and we have doubted the Sixers. I mean, they're, they're never the top team in our college football playoff ranking. And he, they have played wonderful basketball since December. He's been great. I love the way he's meshing with James Harden right now. I would pick Joel Embiid right now as, as the MVP of the league. Interesting, interesting. You know, for me, I'll go ahead and go with Jokic because obviously, I mean, uh, the big averaging a whole triple-double. I do want to correct you, though, Matt. He dropped a triple-double last night, and they lost. So, oh, he did have one last night? I didn't realize that. Yeah, he did have a triple-double last night. Okay, well, it was like 27 in a row before that. So that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a fine correction. But, yeah, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize he ended up with a triple-double. I watched that whole game, too, and I did not realize that. I will say as it is, I have Jokic as my MVP as of right now. Embiid is making a strong run for it. And I really feel like the exposure of the voter fatigue and those Twitter clips, that montage of how terrible his defense has been this past week and a half, I feel like a lot of people, uh, voters are going to see this and be like, dog, okay, Denver, I think they're like a three-game losing skid right now. Yeah. He doesn't have he, – he, he, you really see him, and you could pick apart him defensively. Um, like, okay, you look at Embiid. Embiid is capable of scoring, and he's a great defender, post defender and a, a little bit of perimeter defender. And Embiid is every time second up, runner up. I really feel like if the fatigue is really there, Embiid is going to be pushed by the end of the season to be that MVP. But – 
as of right now, I still got uh, Jokic, and I mean, if he wins it, I'm not going to complain. But if Embiid wins it, I'm not going to complain either because they both deserve it. Yeah. Let, let me ask, go let ahead. Let me ask you guys real quick. Sorry. I mean, and, and certainly like Luca and Steph and and Durant. You know, there's been a lot of injuries, right? That have sort of taken some of these guys out of consideration. What I do find interesting about our discussion, though, is we're all talking about big guys, centers, forwards. And yet the guard play around the NBA is, is ridiculous. SGA and Booker and, and Damian Lillard's been amazing. And John Morant's been amazing. And it's like, you know, none of these guys are scratching the MVP conversation. It's really like a big man's league, ironically, in a 3 and D league where we talk about everything slash and kick now. Yeah, um, it is interesting for sure. It is all three just massive dudes. Uh, one thing, yeah, that the the Jokic defensive clips from the past week have been a tough, tough watch for sure. Um, and it does have been bad. But I will say, like, I am definitely biased in the fact that I hate watching Embiid play. That's why I like I would rather have Giannis be second. He's not like Embiid has had better numbers, but. Um, and he is definitely a better defender. If you go back to that game where it was the Bucks when they were on their 16-game winning streak and they play Philly, and Philly has that awesome second half and wins it, um, it really was Embiid's defense on Giannis that made the difference, honestly. And, and he deserves a lot of credit for the defensive ability that he does have. I want to ask you guys, though, because, Dave, you brought it up, and I feel like we hear this a lot on, like, first take and stuff like that. People bring up the Jordan thing and that, you know – other random guys win it and the voter fatigue and, and all this stuff. But like, I don't know who the guy is that we are tired of. Like, you know what I mean? Like is, is did Jokic win his first one because of the, the voter fatigue for Giannis? Like who actually is the best player that we're all fatigued of and that now we're having to pick apart and make other guys the MVP. Like, I, I think it's really hard to pin down like who actually is the best player who like deserves it right now. I think you could make a really fun case, like, for Durant. Like, I think Durant is the most skilled and best, like, single basketball player. If I had to pick one guy, like, to get me a bucket to win a game, like, I'd probably pick Durant. But, like, he doesn't really have the MVP. Like, he he has the one MVP, and, like, that's it. It's just very shocking to me. It's hard to pin down who the player is that we are not giving the credit to. Like, when we look back in 10 years, we're going to be like, wow, how did Giannis only have two? You know, is was he the guy? all along that we should have been given more to. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. How, how many did Kobe win? Did Kobe only win one regular season MVP? Man, one. That's kind of shocking to me. Like, yeah. you're going to give Joker three. I mean, I guess to me, I, I like the history of the league. And if he wins three straight MVPs, he joins Larry Bird, Bill Russell, and Wilt Chamberlain. And on anybody's list, if you're being realistic, they are three of the eight or nine greatest basketball players of all time. And, you know, like – Wilt with his statistical dominance, Russell won more rings than any athlete in North American sports history, and Larry and Magic saved the NBA in the 80s, and Magic got his three MVP. It's like, the Nuggets, can we get to one finals? And everyone said, well, it's a regular season award. I get I understand all that. It's just, you know, I guess it's probably good I don't have a vote this year. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> okay, we're we going to move on. All right, Dave, who you got as your depoy lock-in? Yeah, I think we're going to agree. Honestly, because I think the rest of the awards are going to be pretty close in agreement here. I'm going to still go with Jaron Jackson Jr. I do think there's some others in the league that are going to push him. You know, it, the awards have not been decided yet, right? And and certainly Lopez from Milwaukee's had a nice season. But I, I think Jaron 
has been the most impactful defensive player this year. And Xavier, I go back to something you said about when he was out at the beginning of the year, and then when he came back from his injury and has played an extremely high level, the team defense rocketed to the top of the league. And to me, that's the metric that matters most. Yeah, uh, I, I really feel like everybody's about to lock in on this. I, I'll let you go, Matt. Who you got? Locked in yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's going to be Jaron, but it's the same thing that we always say about Jaron. Like, he's not a great rebounder, and I think that that is extremely important to being the best defensive player. Like, you, the defensive possession isn't over until you secure the defensive rebound, and that is why now thinking long-term, like, I think we all know that Jaron's locked in for this season. But, like, I don't think that he can win four or five of these things or even two or three of these things if he isn't a better rebounder. Like, I look at some of the other guys on the list. Like, I think Bam is a much better rebounder. Nick Claxton, uh, Brooke Lopez, take him or leave him. But Giannis is a better rebounder, I think, than Jaron. And I, I just think that that's so important to being a good defensive player. So if he wants to continue winning them, I think he's had the best defensive season this season. But if he wants to continue to have like this dominance as being the de best defensive player in the league, like that's what he's got to work on. Be a better rebounder. Yeah, I, I got Jaron as well. He most definitely needs to be a better rebounder. He really could lock, lock in and start getting the rebounds, especially right now while Adams is out. That would help. It's but – I really feel like he's sort of on edge right now, man. Brooke Lopez, have y'all not been paying attention to Brooke Lopez? He has really found like a fountain of youth. That he's winning great. streak, man, that winning streak really elevated his, his uh, uh, resurgence of being uh, a deep boy candidate. The other the other night, what, what, yeah, yeah, the, he, at that Brooklyn game, he had nine blocks. The game against Saturday against the Warriors, he had five blocks. He is playing some great defense right now for the Bucs. I still feel like with Jaron coming back, him showing that Memphis having one of the worst defenses and turning it to a top five defenses in the league, that just elevates him a little bit more. But Brooke Lopez has really reestablished himself of like, okay, I might put some pressure on Jaron Jackson and make these guys really think about it because, I mean, Milwaukee went on a 16-game winning streak. That's pretty ridiculous, although we had an 11-game winning streak at one point. <laughs> yeah. The the thing I struggle with about Brooke Lopez and I find so hard to understand, like, how he is in this race is, like, Jaron, in my opinion, is the best defender in Memphis – Brooke Lopez should be the third best defender on his own team. Drew Holiday is an all defensive, like all, all, like his whole career. Drew Holiday has been an incredible defensive player. Giannis allows Brooke Lopez to do like some of the roaming and like off the ball kind of stuff that like we see Jaron do more of. So it's shocking to me that like Brooke Lopez has, ha has such a good resume defensively this season to win that award. I definitely agree with you, Xavier. Like he deserves to be in the conversation for sure. But it's, it's crazy to me that, in my opinion, like he's the third most skilled defender on his own team. I, I really take that back. I, I really feel that he's the best defender. If you go back to last season when he had a broken foot, Milwaukee defense was really at the middle of the pack bottom. And you go back to when they won the championship in 2021, their defense was a lot better. That was because of Brooke Lopez. Without Lopez, he's their anchor. Giannis is he's as much as Giannis is a great versatile defender. I feel like he plays more the Jaron Jackson role than Rollins around. Now, I mean, I understand Lopez is a little bit slower and he's not capable of guarding those smaller guards. I just really feel like he's he sets the tone defensively. 
And I mean, you got you do have Drew Holiday. I don't know. I don't know what's in the water up there in Milwaukee because those older players are playing like better than they were when they was younger. Because Drew Holiday uh, all was an All Star again. Like I said, Brooke Lopez is playing some of his best basketball since his Brooklyn days. Yeah, I, yeah. Ahead. I really feel like I feel like that Brooke sets the tone for the Milwaukee defense. I agree. He's had a great season. But what what my point is. Like, let's say that it's, um, you know, a one-possession game to win the NBA Finals. Like, who are you more worried about Ja going one-on-one with? Like, is it Drew Holiday? I probably would rather go against – I'd rather have him trying to score on Brook Lopez. You know, does he get switched on to Giannis? Like, I would still yeah. rather him try to meet Brook Lopez at the rim. Like, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's not that – Brooke Lopez is not a great – he's a great team defender, and that's why I think he deserves it. But as an individual player, like, I, I wouldn't take him to, like, guard, you know, my my team's best defender. I would rather have him in a switch and attack him than the other two guys, in my opinion. Yeah, well, Kawhi Leonard's probably better than all of them, right? If you're just coming out, like, you know, a play to win the game, I'd rather have Kawhi coming out of the huddle for us, you know, locking the guy down. I mean, it's a it, – it's, it's he's a kind of a situational uh, – defender like you said good team defender by the way i'm all about a lopez brothers matchup in the second round if we could get a cleveland milwaukee it, I, I we so weird watch you give it robin lopez is running up and down the court with that hair it's just like Ooh. man that is that's great comic stuff I, i'm i'm all aboard i want to see the lopez brothers locking up in round two yeah okay six man six we're gonna do our six man uh selection who, who do you have dave I have a Malcolm Brogdon for the Celtics. I think he's done a great job. Uh, I, it was a great trade. I remember when they, they traded the, or uh, they, they, they picked him up. I thought that's going to be really nice for the Celtics. But the, the one guy, Emmanuel Quickly for the Knicks, has really played well lately. And they're a fun story, right? And the NBA is more fun when the New York Knicks are competitive. I don't think Quickly's going to win it, but I, I like the contributions he's made. But I'd go with Brogdon right now. Yeah, I, I got Brogdon as well, but I got some more comments. So I just want to hear your hear, hear your take. Who do you have, Matt? Um, I think Brogdon is going to be the guy that wins it. I think there's some other guys that, like, maybe bring more value to their team necessarily, but he is the best sixth man, like, on a team that's been winning a ton of games. But, like, a guy who's not really getting talked about a, a ton, like, I think – Bobby Portis has been a huge bench player for Milwaukee, a team that we all really like, obviously. Um, the Russell Westbrook thing, I still don't understand, like, how he's, like, kind of in the conversation for, for sixth man of the year and, and was for so long, even if he, he's not going to win the award, in my opinion. Um, he, he has started and come off the bench for him, but I, I think Tyrese Maxey was really good in his bench role when he was coming off the bench, but uh, obviously, the the name we're all omitting here is the Grizzlies' sixth man. Where is the Tyus Jones love? You know what I mean. And uh, obviously, he has started so many games for us now that we don't. That may be why he doesn't get the national attention, and maybe doesn't even qualify to be the sixth man. But as a bench player goes, like Tyus is about as good and, and valuable as any of those other guys. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, um, Bobby Portis. I sort of had him, but. I, you know, I've been on the Kings since the beginning. Oof, I yeah. felt like that Malik Monk pickup was so underrated. That's a great that one. That night that they went off against the Clippers, bro, I was so happy because you had the whole Kentucky duo of Fox and Monk 
reunited and he has been such a, a fabulous spark off the bench whether and he does whatever mike brown does tells him if he if mike brown tells him okay go guard the best perimeter player he does that all right i need you to go be a scorer he does that all right i need you to be a playmaker he has really elevated his game and it was so crazy too because malik Monk was sort of falling out of the league after the hornets days he said nobody else but the lakers offered him a contract and now he's found himself a home in Sacramento. He's back with his boy, his Kentucky partner. And I, I really feel like his, his contribution off the bench has been magnificent for the for the Kings. And you, here they are. They're the second seed in the West now. And, okay, we got coach of the year uh, selection. Who do you have for your, your coach of the year? I think this should, this could get interesting right here, Matt. Who do, who do you have for coach of the year? Yeah, well, so – I think that the thing about the NBA awards, when you look back on them and you look at it as a whole and you look at everybody who won every individual award, like it should tell you the story of the NBA that season. And I would be remiss if we told that story without having the guy you just mentioned, Mike Brown. I think Mike Brown deserves a ton of credit with what he's done for Sacramento. Um, he has obviously the, to end the playoff drought for that city is, is going to be extremely important to them. Dave mentioned it earlier in the show, like they actually do have this home court advantage, shockingly, that I never would have expected. They're lighting the beam and um, they're a really fun team. And I think Mike Brown deserves a ton of credit. They finally made like this was like the first maybe 12 month period where the Kings didn't do something incredibly stupid. I feel like yeah. in these 17 <laughs> years, you know what I mean? But like we we may not have like said that at the beginning, like the, the Tyrese Halliburton trade for Sabonis. It's really hard to say who won that trade, honestly, because Sabonis has completely turned that roster, you know, transformed their their roster and their starting lineup, adding him. And, um, you know, obviously Mike Brown has, has schemed up a way to get him and De'Aaron Fox to be the, kind of the fulcrums of that offense, and he deserves a ton of credit for it. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. If you go back, though, when we started doing this in, like, December, I, I said Joe Mazzulla with the Celtics. I liked the way they came out of the gates – and he, you know, through some of their offseason uh, difficulties that they had, some little bit of chaos, right? And he kind of settled things down. But one thing about Mike Brown I, I wanted to point out, it's really cool that the Kings got off to a good start. And then when the pressure started them out, the narrative started them out, like they're going to break their was it 16, 17 season since they've made the playoffs, that the team didn't crumble under that. In fact, they're eight and two in their last 10 games. They're playing really good basketball. They're, they're charging towards the playoffs. And I think he deserves credit for that. Not just getting the team to play well, but managing some of this increasing expectations. He's done a great job. Good for him. Good for the Kings. Yeah. I, I as well have Mike Brown. Mike Brown has done a, a magnificent job. Um, I see he implemented a little bit of the Warriors offense with the Kings. You see that with the, handoffs of him using Sabonis in a way and you got such a great shooter of Herter and you have a, an amazing closer of De'Aaron Fox I mean he is a, a magnificent like Hall of Fame clutch shooter closer and it's, it's really crazy to, to say I've never witnessed it like since I've been a basketball actual basketball basketball fan I've never seen the Kings being the second seed I've never seen it I've, I, I mean I've watched them you know, sort of get cheated by the Lakers back in the early 2000s. A lot of people want to say that's conspiracy-wise, but 
it's glad to see the Kings actually playing some good basketball now. And yeah, it's a, it's a fun team to watch. And last but not least, let's 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 talk about who you have as rookie of the year because I think I'm gonna shake a lot of people up with this with my selection. Who do you have, Dave? I stayed with Paolo Bencaro for Orlando. I, I think uh, at 20 a game, 6.6 rebounds, uh, almost four assists. I think he's been great. Uh, and unfortunately, it looks like Orlando's probably going to come up short. Uh, but they have a bright future, and I think he's been every bit the number one pick. Yeah, Paolo has had a great year. Um, Matt, who do you have? Yeah, I mean, it's Paolo for me as well. Like, I, I, I'm interested to see who you have uh, for sure. But – just if you think back to that draft, um, you know, there was a lot of debate about who should be number one. I was a Jabari Smith guy who dropped 30 last week and looked pretty good, but he's been really bad. Other than that, uh, we don't know. The story has not been written on Chet Holmgren yet, but regardless of what the other two guys turned into, I think we can say for certain that Orlando nailed that pick. He's been awesome for him so far this year as a rookie and him and Franz seem to be like the front court, the, you know, they're switchable multiple scoring wings for years to come and could be really formidable. So I think that they nailed the pick no matter how you look at it. Um, and he is going to be the rookie of the year, in my opinion. And 6'10", 250, I mean, a big athlete, right? I mean, just has that build that he's going to continue to improve for the Magic and uh, already so skilled, but has that NBA body that it, it's just – he's probably going to, what, a 12, 13, 14-year starter in this league. Looks to be – remarkable sneaky great playmaker too he's really good yeah. in the pick and roll as the ball handler his shooting has been terrible though I think he went he went like the whole month of February and only hit one three-pointer he was like one for 28 or something crazy like that so he's got to work on that but I mean yeah he's he's a bona fide star and he's going to be a really good player for him for a long time all right Xavier who you got let's hear it all right man I got Jalen Williams for OKC aka Ooh, yeah yeah Stand -up player bro People been sleeping on that man, Jalen Williams, though. He had a good night last night against uh, San Antonio. But when Shea Gilgis-Alexander isn't playing, Jalen Williams, J-Dubs does everything. When I mean he's versatile uh, as a defender, as a playmaker, as a scorer, J-Dubs is like I've become a huge fascinated guy of watching his game because he is ideally the model NBA player nowadays. He, he can play one through five. He can guard one through five. He can orchestrate the offense. He can shoot outside. OKC snagged him. Like, that was such a great pick. I would have – man, I, I, I can't remember. I think he was pick number 11. Yeah, I'm just looking it up. He, he went 12. Yeah. He went 12? Yeah. Man, oh, my gosh. I really wish – if he would have, like, slipped somehow, if the Grizzlies – like, that would have been a great pickup for the Grizzlies. I mean, he literally does everything. and. I really do feel like he's not going to win it. I don't want to select him. But Paulo hasn't been efficient since All-Star break. Like the second half of the season, Paulo hasn't been efficient. Paulo was making a lot of noise at the beginning of the season and, you know, in the middle of the pack. But since then, he's sort of felt falling off. And Jay Dubs has been playing a lot of basketball. And OKC is trying to make a push to, to the playoffs. And he's a big reason behind that. And so I'm going Jay Dubs, man. Jalen Williams, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of your game, man. It's a great, great selection. And isn't that exactly what Oklahoma City needed? They need to hit on some of these mid-first-round draft picks. Not every pick's going to be a first, second pick in the draft, right? And we'll see what Holmgren is. But the other guy's Ujman Dang. I, it went one pick ahead of him. That's had some moments this year. I liked him in the summer league last year. 
But if they if they continue to hit a home run with Jalen Williams, you add him to Giddy, you add him to SGA, fill in the front court. That's a fun young team that still has a lot of picks coming up and really, really a nice player. Great pick. Yeah, like I said. Can y'all hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Like I said, um, I, I, I've always been huge on the OKC. That's like that's one of my favorite teams to watch now um, because they they're just a lot of fun, a lot of offense, high tang. I feel like they sort of give me vibes of you know the middle two uh, thousands of the Suns, in which they don't run a center. They're going to get to the floor. You got a great shooter of Isaiah Joe. You can replicate that with Quentin Richardson. You have a great point guard of. Shay Gilgis Alexander, and you can replicate that with Steve Nash. It's 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 a fun thing. I'm ready to see them like fully healthy. We didn't touch on the most improved player. I don't know if you guys, yeah. And and is it Laurie Markin across the board? I got Markin goat. Yeah, Markin has been awesome. He definitely deserves it. But I mean, some other guys. The, the thing is, like, we all thought the reason Markin deserves it is because, like, we thought he was like on his way out of the league, and now has turned yeah. into been you know an all star, obviously. Um, whereas guys like SGA and Halliburton, we knew they were good already. So it's like that hard part of like, you know, they definitely have elevated their games, but it was you know from an already high level, whereas Laurie was really struggling there in Chicago and Cleveland, obviously. So it's been good to see his jump. But the thing – Sorry, Xavier, go. I was going to say, like, we we, we agree with marketing. But the thing is, though, you see the last year, John Morant won most improved player. It yeah. sort of set, like, a different standard for most improved players that, like, basically stars can win it. And it, I don't feel like it should be given to a star – and you see in Tyrese Halliburton or, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander, I really feel like it's deserving of a player that's, you know, that's non-expectant, and then they make that huge leap to be a star. And right. so I really feel that marketing deserves it. But but you make a great point. And let's say that Kevin Durant trade happens in December, and Mikael Bridges goes to, you know, let's say he goes to the Nets in December and then puts 50, 55 games together the way he's playing now. He's been incredible since that trade. And to me, like he, he's kind of a most improved player in that way because he went from being a very good rotation piece in Phoenix to, I mean, he looks like an all-star in the East. Okay, now to our last segment. March Madness has finally approached us, and we're coming up with a, a pretty cool segment right here. We're going to look and see who do we have circled which four players do we have circled that will fit the Grizzly system for this upcoming March for for this upcoming March Madness, player wise? It, it's an interesting way to figure out who should the Grizzlies be eyeing and and and, and watching for this upcoming offseason. So Matt, I know you're a big college guy. I know I know you've been doing some scouting. Who who do you have selected? Uh yeah, I, I, I got a couple different guys, and, and some of them maybe um, I might be a little biased on for sure. But, um, you know, there's some good there's some good players out here. Number one, well, actually, let me, let me start with number four. Um, I think this is a guy that I haven't really seen, like, even in the first round of mock drafts, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and that's DeAndre Williams, who was awesome in the American Conference Tournament for uh, Memphis, obviously. Uh, he is a big guy that I think, you know, we've seen now, especially in his absence, how much the big, the, the center position means 
to these guys uh, in the absence of Steven Adams. And I think that that's a guy that can, um, you know, bring a lot of value to him. He's obviously a Memphis kid and would have a big uh, impact right away. Number two for me is Julian Phillips, who is a Tennessee Vol. So those are kind of my two bias picks right there. He's a young kid who I think is going to be able to contribute right away uh, and is going to be a great player in the NBA as well. Uh, number two for me, and this is where this is a guy who's really fallen off, but Derek Lively of Duke mm-hmm. was the number one kid in the recruiting class coming into this season. He's really struggled, but he's another big guy who I think uh, is very versatile, especially defensively uh, and shows me shades of a guy like Evan Mobley. Um, you know, he just has to clearly improve a little bit offensively and just be more consistent. Uh, but if he has a big run in March, he could shoot up into the lottery easily. Uh, and and that's another guy that I would look at as well. But my number one guy I want them to add uh and that he is on the team that I think is going to win the national championship. I want to hear what your guys' national championship picks are as well. But I think Grady Dick is an incredibly high IQ and, importantly, the best shooter in this draft. Grady Dick from Kansas is an unbelievable knockdown three-point shooter. He's not an awesome defender, but he's super willing to get out there, put his chest in the guys, take charges. I think he's really high IQ, and he's a great shooter from the perimeter. And he has a little bit of game, uh, you know, a little bit of, of dribble game as well. And he can do a lot of different things for you. But uh, Grady Dick would be my number one. But that's a guy who they're going to have to move up to go get. I think he's, uh, you know, an easily lottery pick, um, you know, maybe teen somewhere in there like that. But Grady Dick, I think, would be an awesome addition to this team as well. I like that DeAndre Williams pick because I have him. But, yeah, uh, I figured Dave, you would. <laughs> Dave, who do you have on your list for four players? Which four players? This is a really interesting discussion to me because the Grizzlies have so much youth and here we are slotted anyway to pick 24 and I'm kind of scratching my head. Do we need more youth? You know, I, I, I pressed right for a trade at the trade deadline. I'd like to see some more veteran leadership, some more shot making ability in this team. But, but I did want to go back real quick if I could to the Dallas Memphis game we just watched. And it's such a microcosm of how difficult the draft is. If you look at that box score, I love Jaden Hardy coming into the draft because he was a, a really well thought of, but he had a tough G League season and then he dropped into the second round. You know, and Hardy had 22 points in that game. And I think he's got a real future in this league. And then we had some real bright spots too. David Roddy was great, 24 points. I thought he looked wonderful. Desmond Bain, of course, a 30th pick in the first round, had a great game, 25 points. And Santi's a 10 and 5 and seems like consistently now a 10 and 5 kind of guy. So some real thumbs up for draft picks. And then you look, you know, and Zaire's a DNP. You know, Kennedy Chandler with no John Morant's a DNP. You know, you could take LaRavia, you really scratch your head. I mean, so you see sort of the highs and lows. And the issue, Xavier, I believe, is because we're drafting kids that are so young, it takes them a while to find their footing in the league. And they're going to have these inconsistencies. So when we're looking at who Memphis should target in the draft next year, do we want more youth or should we consolidate for a veteran? Or, as as uh, Matt was pointing out there, trade up for a more, let's say, NBA-ready player like Grady Dick, who I had circled here, too, from Kansas. We'd have to move up to get him. But I think we don't want – you know, just more draft picks and more draft picks. So I think we want to target quality players now around this. I like Dick, I like Derek Lively from Duke as well because I like his size, seven foot one. I also like the fact, you know, you talk about Dick at Kansas, Lively at Duke. Another kid I like, I like Chris Murray from Iowa. You know, these kids are going to be in the tournament playing big games. I like that. 
Uh, I like Leonard Miller from the G League, another guy sort of like Jaden Hardy. He went, you know, the G League rounds out of college. And, you know, Leonard Miller, six foot 10, 210 pounds. And are we overanalyzing these kids because he's not at 19 years old, a finished product dominating the G League? He's still putting up 16 and a half. So I, I, I think if we, whatever we do, let's come out of the draft with a shot creator and a wing player that I think we desperately need. And I had one final point my poor Tar Heels. Uh, not going, not even in the tournament, which is absolutely just ridiculous. I mean, they didn't deserve it. I get it. They didn't deserve it. the preseason number one team in the country. But the reason I bring them up is not for my own, uh, you know, my own benefit. It's because some of those players may be a little undervalued now. And they have some talent on that team. Armando Baycock can play. Leaky Black can play. R.J. Davis. Those They're not first round picks, I don't believe, but they would be nice second round picks. I think the teams are going to think like since North Carolina stunk this year, you know, they might overlook some of those players and they may end up being pretty good NBA players because last year they had a good run to the finals. So that was my last comment on the draft, Xavier, is that I think, you know, some, sometimes we see that team success uh, and, and overvalue. Maybe UNC is one of those situations now where those players will be undervalued and Memphis could be, you know, Armando Bay got 6'11". Be a nice fit off the bench in a second round pick. Caleb Love too. I like his game a lot. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Who, yeah. who do you got, Xavier? Uh, who, who should we who should we draft? What players are you watching? I'll be honest, man. I'm not being into college basketball until March Madness. So <laughs> I'll only have one <laughs> player in circle, and that's DeAndre Williams. And that, that's because I watched the local Memphis Tigers, and he's so versatile. Um, he's older. He's 26 years yeah. old. And so he's he's pretty polished. Um, I do, he does have a lot of problems sometimes in the foul trouble, but man, like he's 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 capable of creating his own shot. Um, he's able to make play different positions. He's he's a great defender. I feel like most likely he's not going to be drafted, but he could be one of those undrafted free agents that the Grizzlies can pick pick up. And like like you saying, Dave, I'm in, I'm in the mood now of. I really feel like we don't need too many more younger pieces. We really should be trading these assets to, to you know, get a big swing on a person, on, on a better player, or even like you, like you said, an NBA ready guy. Um, I know the guy from Bama was it Miller? Is his name? Yeah, I, he's probably going to be a top lottery pick. I have watched his game. He was a great scorer, a great player. But I know most likely the Grizzlies aren't going to be able to touch him. But um, I probably have a, like a better list. After, you know, March Madness and watching these guys being able to perform and whatnot. But I'm just not so big into college because there's so many teams. <laughs> no, no. And in fairness, uh, when I was growing up, guys, college basketball was a lot different. You know, North Carolina would recruit a kid. He'd stay three, four years. And and just, you know, they would come into the NBA as men. And, and it's a lot of it's speculation now. These 18-year-old kids, 19-year-old kids. What's sort of exciting, though, is if you look at this NCAA tournament, a lot of these guys – are going to play in the NBA and they're playing in division one schools now. And then you, you juxtapose that to the NBA. And would you say like six of the top eight players in the world never went to college in the United States, Joker to Giannis to Luca, you know, all these guys. And so it's kind of cool that there's a lot of really good division one players that when you look at mock drafts are coming from Alabama, Baylor, you know, Villanova, Indiana, Iowa, that, that should make for a fun tournament. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like this is going to be a very fun tournament. I don't have a clear winner. I feel like um, I know Kansas is a lot of people's favorites. I like Houston. Kansas. Yeah, Houston. Well, they point guard is questionable. Um, so 
You know, the number ones, I feel like Purdue going to be getting knocked out, though. It, That's least, a fact. That's always. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I mean, it's just it, it, they rely too much on the, they, they big man, and he just moves too too slow. Like a team really can upset, upset him. But I really feel like this tournament is up for grabs because you, do, you just don't have, like, the strong powerhouses like you used to of, like, you know, Duke, Kentucky, um, and, and Nova and North those guys, yeah, yeah, UNC, yeah, like those legendary coaches and no, and them having those legendary lineups. It's not, it's not the same anymore. It's just transfer protocol, and, and you get uh, some of these younger guys. It's a lot of mixed pieces, so it's interesting, interesting to see what's going to happen this March Madness. All right, guys, that wraps up today's show of the Core Four Podcast. We appreciate everybody watching and listening to us today. Matt, why don't you tell the people your socials? Yeah, get get um, you know all my stuff at Matt H Gill. Follow our show account as well at the Core Four Podcast, and follow at Bluff City underscore Media as well for all that written content. We got Tiger stuff there too as well. Check everything out over there at Bluff City Media. Yeah, Dave, how can the people find you on your social media? Yeah, thanks, Xavier. It's been great to be here today. You can follow me on Twitter at DOB1933.8. And uh, looking forward to uh, an exciting week of Grizzlies basketball, some fun games this week. Yeah, most definitely. I'm ready for this game tonight against the Mavs. Hopefully we'll see Kyrie versus Dylan Brooks tonight since he's been calling them out. But, yeah, you can find me, Xavier, at on Twitter at ZayTomTakes, and then you can find me on TikTok at underscore XZAY for a little bit basketball analysis as well. I'm doing a little bit more coverage on the Memphis Tigers. If you want to check in on the uh, local side of things of Memphis, uh, I, I do a little recaps for them. But again, appreciate everybody coming out, check, checking us out. Y'all have a good day. Peace. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.